that's where it's I'm at. That you found that now. I know that's true. Um, okay, so we are in our spiritual formation unit. And Ben was like, why don't you teach two of them? And I was like, okay. So I like talking about the Bible and God and Jesus, but a formal teaching is tough for me. I just get really nervous and I've gotten better, but it still makes me nervous. So he was like, you can talk about whatever you want. And so I've just been praying about it and thinking about if I could talk to you about anything in spiritual formation, what would I talk about? And I was like, you know, my favorite thing to talk about is it's Jesus. And so I was like, you know what? We're just, if you're going to, the first thing you're going to hear from me is I'm going to spend all morning talking about Jesus. He's my favorite person and I can talk about him all day long. So hopefully I have um, two hours worth of material for you today. Um, But really when I, so honestly, I feel like Jesus would fit into anything. It's like, oh, biblical unit, Jesus. Oh, ministry unit, Jesus. Spiritual formation. Um, But so much, almost as I was like reflecting, it's almost my like my testimony of my relationship with Jesus is what I want to walk through today. There's three um, really major things, like major characters or really roles he plays in my life that I've learned over the last 10 or 15 years since I think I really started seriously following him um, that I just want to share with you today. And some of it will feel, even today, Rosie's like, maybe you're going to talk about he's this and he's this. And she was like, listing the ones I'm going to talk about. And so... Um, you're going to, he, everything I say today, you're going to be like, we've heard that. But I just want to encourage you to think through it in a new lens. I want to try to challenge you in your views of him. Um, and we even like today when we were talking about our like ruthless elimination of hurry, like the, the life we're called to is not a mediocre life. It's not a life of like we hurry around and we're like trying to do all these good things for Jesus. The goal is to know him so deeply that we're like him. Like we can, spiritual formation is not about being really good at our quiet time and having regular desert days and fasting every Monday and praying for persecuted Christians. Those are all good things. But if our goal isn't to know Jesus better and be like him, then that's all like we're like that's pharisaical at some point and so everything we do and we learn about in spiritual formation is good but the goal is not even not necessarily to be more like jesus it's to know jesus better and when we do that we become more like him and so um i have notes but also i sometimes just ignore them um and so yeah like i said i just kind of want to talk you through the three big things about Jesus that I learned in my 20s and now really early 30s. I'm kind of starting in college um, and just kind of where um, Joe calls this a treasure hunt when you just kind of jump all over scripture and just kind of pull things out that um, just teach us more about him. So today be challenged but also just be encouraged that we all can know Jesus and these things um, it's really beautiful that we live in a country where these things are normal to talk about. We don't have to have them as a secret and all of us get to study him freely and openly. Um, I've been really convicted about that. So the fact that we just get to sit here for two hours and we're not afraid that someone's going to come and put us in prison. Yeah. I don't have a paper. Oh. Oh, they're right there. Oh. Pass them along. It's Morgan's fault. <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't bullying. It was a joke. It was just a Thursday morning joke. I thought it was funny. <laughs> Were you just waving or do you have a question? Oh, oh great. Um, if I lock mine, is it still recording? Yeah. Okay, great. I don't really know. It's fine. No, I hate the sound of my own voice. It's the worst. So, but everyone says Carrie sounds like me and I don't hate Carrie's voice. So I tell myself that's really what I sound like. But I really hate the sound of my own voice. Okay. So let's start. Um, The first one I want to talk about is 
Jesus is the king we choose to serve. Jesus is the king we choose to serve. Um, and so the kind of what we're going to do is we're going to ask quite some questions today that I'm going to walk through. It's like, why is Jesus that thing? What is he like? Like, so why is Jesus king? And then what is he like as a king? And then what does that mean for us? Like, how should we interact with him as king? And so the first thing I want to do, and we will be flipping all over. You can absolutely follow along. I'll be reading them. Um, but if you open to Ephesians 1, um, I, so back up a little bit. When I was in college, I grew up here at Southeast. And really when I was five is when I like knew Jesus was my savior. And I was like, I want to live for Jesus. You can live in my heart. And I really started following him. Um, but I really had just like a friendship with him. He wasn't really in control of my life is what I would say. Um, and then I kind of like ended up at Bible college because I didn't really have anywhere else to go. And I've always loved Jesus. I love serving the church, but again, this reality of like, Jesus is the King. Um, wasn't necessarily like on my radar um which again everyone knows that like hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord we talk about palm sunday um but he really was just this like friend doing life with me and then my senior year of college um i took a class over the gospel of matthew which each each gospel kind of like highlights a different aspect of jesus a different like kind of they're all like together this beautiful like diamond of him and matthew really wants us to understand that like he came from david he came from jesse he is the king and i don't i don't even know what moment it was if shane was telling some specific story or talking about something but for the first time i really realized it's like oh he gets to like control my life he doesn't just like it's like oh what do you want to do today Jesus I want to do this want to come along it's like oh he has like complete authority over heaven and earth and my soul and your soul and so this is one of the the biggest pivotal moments of like adulthood where I was like oh Jesus is king of everything um and so I think again we can throw that around but today I just want to talk a little bit about why he deserves that title and I'll talk a little bit about what he's like when he is living in your life as king um so in Ephesians 1 I also kind of was like wait Jesus is king but God is king are they both king does God let Jesus be king but I'm very confident Jesus is king it just took me a while to get there when I was preparing my lesson um because I was like does the Bible even say he's king it does it does it's fine yeah it's fine I texted Ben a little panicking one night like wait Jesus is king he is so in Ephesians 1 what yeah oh yeah Kanye did Jesus is king so shout out to Lacey Bose for Kanye um okay so Jesus help all right Ephesians 1 20 through 23 um I'm gonna skip the word that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Um, And so I think a lot of times we're like, well, Jesus is king. That's awesome. But why? Like, why does Jesus get to be king? I don't think we ask that very often. Um, and it's because he gave himself up. Like he actually, you know, the king, and we don't have even like really good image of a king because even our closest image is like England and their king is a lot of more of a face. You know, he does control things, but Jesus is like when a king is truly the sovereign 
they rule everything. They control everything. And when you reflect on Jesus being king and you're like, well, why does he get ultimate power? It's like, well, he defeated the ultimate power no one else can defeat, and that's death. And so when, when Jesus willingly submitted his life and died, but then that wasn't the end, he came back to life. And no one else has raised themselves from the dead. You know, Jesus has power over death and he raised other people back to life. But all those people died again, you know. And so Lazarus was in the grave eventually. And that boy who's like the widow's son, like he died again. But no one else ever has not like died again, you know. And there are people who were raised up, but they weren't brought back to life. And so um, that's why Jesus gets to be king is because he actually has shown and proved um, that he has authority over everything. Um, and so, um, yeah, so that's why he gets to be king because God gave him that power. And I think also that's kind of where I was like, oh, right. So God gave Jesus that power over us. And another thing is that the church is the kingdom. And so, um, Jesus gets to be king over our life because when we give our lives to him and when we accept him, um, he becomes, the king over that because the church is his kingdom. And I think um, something it's good to remember too is that the kingdom is here now. It's not something that's coming. It's not something, it is coming. It's going to be great when it's in all of its glory and finally here and it's going to be awesome. But right now in our lives, we're living in his kingdom as part of his church and his body. Um, and so we need to um, be be willing to submit to that. So Jesus gets to be king because he is um, over everyone. So the next thing I want to talk about is what is Jesus like as a king? And that's Colossians 1. Um, we're going to flip there. Water. Just take a minute. It's just a few pages over. Um, okay. So Colossians 1, I think this might be one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Um, so I think, I don't know if yours says 15, but I actually want to start in 13. Um, and so Colossians 1, so this is, um, what is Jesus like as a king? So it says in verse, in Colossians 1, um, 13, it says, how far am I supposed to go here? All right. Okay. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Um, and so I think this is just a really beautiful passage of how Jesus rules. Um, there's just so much peace and hope um, and redemption in these passages. And he is just, you know, it's like he's going to reconcile everything to him. And if you're on the right side of that, that's going to be great. And if you're not, you know, he has to be just. But um, in here we see it's like we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. So what's Jesus like as a king? He's so welcoming. Like he wants you to be a part of his kingdom. He wants you, all the parables, you know, about this king. Sometimes he's just and righteousness is displayed. But a lot of times, you know, with the parable of the lost son, it's like he welcomes us with open arms. And um, the king who um, takes 
takes care of his people and gives everyone the same share. You know, he's not a, a God who has favorites. Um, that all of those things, the parables really show that he is a just and loving God. Um, and then later down, you know, it's he's before all things and in him all things hold together. And so he really does have that ultimate rule. And then through him, he reconciles all things to himself on earth and heaven and making peace. And so with his power, he uses his power as king. He uses it to heal us and to heal the areas of our lives we don't think would ever be healed. He uses it to reconcile us to him. Um, part of the cool thing about him being king is that he adopts us and we get to also rule with him as um as part of his kingdom, as his children. He offers us peace in this world. Um, I think the world is so chaotic. And he says, you know, take heart, I've overcome the world. And we know that doesn't mean that in this world there won't be troubles. He says there will be troubles. But in this world, we know we live under the reign of the king who has ultimate authority over darkness, over sin, over death. Um, And so it's just really important to remember that when he reigns, he brings us peace, even in a world that might not. Um, And even, I don't, in in the gospel of matthew you know he talks like matthew talks a lot about god bringing this peace him being the god of peace and that was almost like a direct punch to rome's face because rome kept saying like we bring like pax romana which is like the peace of rome it's like you should trust us more than anyone because we bring so much peace to this world the like caesar and the emperor bring peace and then Jesus comes in, he's like, I'm actually the one who brings peace. Like, I'm actually the only king who can bring you peace and who can conquer death. And so that peace that we get from him um, is just something that he offers as our king. And when we're under his rule and reign, we can have peace because we know he's in ultimate control. Um, and I also love, I don't know if I have the exact verse, and you don't have to flip here, um, but he just, he loves us so much as a king. I think sometimes we don't talk necessarily. It's like we talk about him being a father, but I think a king who loves his citizens and loves his people is just a really beautiful picture too of someone who will really take care of them. Um, I wish I'd written down the exact verses. Um, like in Rome, in Revelation 21, when Jesus comes back and he's like ruling in all of his glory, um, the first part of 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And I just think, like, that is the kind of king we serve. And he is going to come back one day. And so right now on earth, we get to live under that reign. And it's going to be so, so good when he comes back. I was like, maybe I'll just read just Revelation 22 and we'll be done. Because it's, if you don't, like Revelation 21 and 22 make me cry almost every time I read them. Because it's just going to be so good when he comes back. Um, there's another part. Where was it in 21? Um, yeah, in 2117, it says, The spirit and the bride say, Come. And, let, and the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. And so there's just this invitation to his kingdom that is so much more um, than I think we ever actually understand what we're getting of just like come and drink and never be thirsty again and come and live under this rule where you can have ultimate peace and you can be so free because he is king and that so it's like you have to remember i think we're so good at saying well jesus is king but like what does that mean it means that he conquered death 
It means that no one else has done what he has done by willingly offering his life and then being raised back and then being handed the authority to the church and the kingdom by God. And so we have to live in that reality. Um, And so thinking through all that, it's so good to just, we talked about meditating today. It's like, just sit and ask yourself, like, what does that mean for me, for Jesus to be king of my life? Um, And so in Hebrews 12, you can flip there if you want. It's just a few verses. Um, But my next question is, so how do we respond to that? You know, we can talk about it and we can live our lives like believing that. um, But what does that mean for us? And it actually is, this is the part that I mostly struggled with. I think when I, in college, I kind of had this revelation or this new realization that um jesus is king of my life and because what that means is that he has full authority over your life and so that means every part of your life you need to be willing to submit to him and so although it's so true that he is loving and kind he's also just and he also deserves our worship and our praise and our whole lives and so um hebrews 12 28 through 29 It says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So when I was thinking about this, you know, we um, kind of tie it in with the parable of the man who builds his kingdom on the sand. Eventually, um, Jesus is going to come back and everything is going to be taken away. Our God is a consuming fire, Mm -hmm. but we live in a kingdom that cannot be shaken and that cannot be changed. Um, And so we have to ask ourselves, if God came back right now and shook everything but his kingdom, what in our lives wouldn't be there anymore? Where in our lives are we standing on a kingdom that can be shaken and that can be burned away? Um, And where in our lives have we not given him the authority that he deserves as our king? Um, And so... We were talking a lot about this. Um, I was talking to some friends a few nights ago at dinner about the way we listen to music. And this is more of a personal conviction. This is not me trying to make a, make an argument or anything. But we don't differentiate very well about our feelings when we listen to secular music versus worship music. You know, we can get really into it and we, it can help us feel things. And um, But it's like, what are, what are we actually worshiping when we sing those songs? And what's actually happening? You know, we, you know, we go to concerts. Like, I've been to the Jonas Brothers concert and I'm not, I'm not worshiping him. I'm not even close. Like, Jesus truly rules my life. But other people in that room are. Like other people in that room really probably truly are worshiping these men who have given them a spiritual experience by making them help them feel their feelings and emotions. And so that's just one area of our life that it's like, oh, have we really thought through what music does in our lives and what music makes us feel? And again, that's a very personal conviction. I don't think that's the way for everyone. Um, But so when we think about Jesus having authority, like I just made a list. It's like, does he have authority over what you watch like what kind of things you allow in your home on Netflix, on the streaming platforms. It was funny because so many of the things we were talking about for that book today, I was like, oh, I was kind of going to talk about that too. Um, what are you listening to? You know, what are you spending your time filling your life with? What is like you said, like what has my attention? Like what gets the most of my attention? Um, what are you reading? You know, like how much time do you read news articles or do things make you anxious about this, about the news? And I think you should be informed. I think we should know what's going on in the world, but do you spend so much time thinking about it and not thinking about Jesus having authority over that? Mm -hmm. Um, Does he have authority over what you say about other people, about the place you worship, about um, what you think about different things? Does he have the authority? Do you ask him? Do you check with him before you say things? Um, does he have authority over where you go? 
like, does he have authority over how you spend your time and where you're spending your time? Um, does he have authority over your money? Where, like, I, that's what I struggle with. Sometimes I'm like, it's, I just want to spend on what I want to spend it on, honestly, you know? But it's like, does he have authority? And he doesn't want us to be miserable, but he also, like, should have, he should get the first of everything, and we should be willing to give it back to him if that's what he asks. Um, does he have authority over how you think about other people? Do you think you know better? You know, it says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So do you give King Jesus the authority over how you see and think about other people? Um, does he have authority over how you think about yourself? You know, if we claim him as king, that means that we claim ourselves as citizens of his kingdom. And so if you're constantly berating yourself or thinking you don't measure up, we talk about how comparison kills community, but also comparison com- Why can't I say that? Let me take a drink of water. <laughs> Comparison also kills your ability to be close to Jesus. If you're constantly thinking you don't measure up, but yet King Jesus is saying, I have called you for this. That's also, again, you're saying, I don't believe you. When you say, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm actually made for this. You're saying that I don't believe you. I don't believe that you have authority over this area of my life because I don't think I can do it. And so does he have authority of how you think about yourself and about your ministry call? Um, on this journey of growing um, and journey, and like I said, this is about your journey with Jesus, about just growing in your life with him. Um, you have to be willing to submit to the king's authority. Everything not in his kingdom will be burned away. And so what parts of our lives do we need to give him um, and be under submission to his kingdom? And my question is like, what will be left when he comes and shakes everything around you that doesn't belong to him? Um, where is your wealth and your worth and you know there's just so many parables about that the rich man who built storehouses and then died the next night it's like his kingdom was shaken and nothing was left um and so jesus is a good king and if you haven't really ever taken some time to be like oh you like get to rule my life that was big for me maybe y'all got there faster than me but that was a really big one i was like oh I like got rebaptized. You'll hear my testimony eventually, but literally I was like, I got to, I like, he really does get to control my life, not just like be my friend in my life. And so if you haven't thought about that, or if there's areas of your life, you know, he doesn't have control. I would just encourage you, especially in this summer, as you're going to have um, more space to think through spiritual formation and being spiritually formed, where in your life can you give King Jesus authority? Because he really does deserve it. And he really has earned it. Um, not because he had to earn it, but I think you know what I mean when I say that. He's, he's willingly submitted um, to dying for us and coming back to life so he gets to be the ultimate authority. Um, so that's King Jesus. He's a really great, great guy. Um, okay, we're going to go to the next one. Any questions about King Jesus? Or thoughts even? Did you have something? Oh, I couldn't tell. You're, I was like, what's going on over there? Okay, Probably. nothing? Yeah. Anything, thoughts, questions, things stuck out to you? Okay. I'm not willing to sit as long as Ben, so I'm going to move on. (laughs) Y'all will learn. Ben can sit up here for minutes waiting for y'all to talk. I don't have that kind of ability. Okay. All right. So the next one we're going to jump in. I don't know which is listed first. We're going to start in John 10. So sorry if I tricked you and had Psalm 23 there first. Um, So we're going to start in John 10. So anybody want to take a guess? Jesus is? The good shepherd we get to follow. So Jesus is the king we choose to serve, and he's the shepherd that we get to follow. I chose those words pretty intentionally. So Jesus is the good shepherd that we get to follow. All right. 
So we're going to read a chunk out of John 10. <clears throat> we're going to read, I think I'm going to read, go ahead and read 1 through 18. I'm just the whole thing because scripture can speak so well for itself. Okay. John 10, 1 through 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Sometimes that's so fascinating to me. Sorry, pause. Just there's so many things in the Bible that we forget were confusing. And so it's almost like, and when you see things like that, or think about it, it's like, okay, what? Why would this would have been confusing? They don't, they have no idea that Jesus is going to like sacrifice himself and that we're going to follow him and that we're going to have the spirit to know his voice. So like when you're reading scripture, you had to think about like, oh, that would have been confusing. Like how, like, what do I need to process about that? Anyway. I just think sometimes we forget really familiar with it and forget that this is like profound in so many ways. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and they lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting. I hadn't noticed this before, um, but that's a lot of the same stuff as him like being able to be king. It's like that sacrificial willingness um, to lead us and to go before us and do the things that we actually can't do ourselves so that we can follow him. Like we can't like die to ourselves um, unless he does it for us and like unless he helps us do that. And so he is just such a good, a good leader. Um, so why is Jesus the good shepherd? It's because he laid down his life for his sheep. Um, it says the sheep, and just kind of going over some of the things to highlight in this passage, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought them all out, he goes before them. And so there's just this image of the shepherd who knows each sheep and makes sure they're all together and draws them out, and then then he starts leading us. And so there's just this communal aspect of this good shepherd who wants us all to be included. Um, and the sheep follow him for the for they know his voice. Um, and that's always a challenge to you. If you don't know your shepherd's voice, which I think all of you do, and I really do think you all know his voice, um, but it's such a sweet thing to know that he's calling to us and he's constantly um, guiding us and speaking over us and calling our names. And sometimes we just follow, even if we're not sure what he's saying, but we know that we can hear him. Um, and we, we get to know his voice is just such a privilege. Um, down in verse 10, it says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And I think it's so interesting that 
when Jesus says, I've come to for they have life abundantly, he's like talking about sheep. And it's like, I don't think when we think of like abundant life, we're like, oh yeah, sheep really have it all going on. Like they really have the best life. And it's like, they kind of, they like live outside and they're kind of always dirty. I don't know if you've seen a sheep like just out in the wild. My parents live across the street from some sheep. And it's just like, they're kind of always like dirty and they're, they just live outside even when it's raining and they're kind of dumb. They're actually not as dumb as everyone thinks. That's kind of a little bit of a myth. They're kind of dumb, but they're not as dumb as everyone thinks. And, um, but it's like, but Jesus is talking about like these people who are completely dependent, not people, these animals, we're not animals, but this, this kind of being that is completely dependent on someone else, they have life abundantly because that, that is where we get life abundantly is when we realize we need to be completely dependent on our shepherd. Like sheep really can't do anything for themselves. And so this, I don't think that's what we would naturally think of. Like someone who has the best life is someone who is completely reliant on someone else. But when that person is the good shepherd who's willing to die for you, that is life abundant. Um, and so I just think that's really interesting. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And he's talking about a flock of sheep. Like he's, like he's interacting with us like we're sheep. Um, and it's because they're completely dependent on him. Um, and then in verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says this so many times. I don't think I'd really thought about how often he says it's like, it's because I I love you more than I love my own life. I love you more than I love my own life. And that's sacrificial love. And that's why he is the good shepherd. Um, and then in verse 16, it says, I have other sheep, I must bring them, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. And I think that's something else really beautiful about him being a good shepherd is that he creates community and unity among us too. He doesn't say like, I pull out my sheep like one at a time and I take care of them and I'm, I'm doing all this. It's like, no, he... He, like, as the good shepherd, he, like, cares about all of us being together. You know, he'll go search for that one, not so that that one is like, look, here, they're awesome. It's like so that they can be part of the body of Christ. And so not only is he leading us as a good shepherd and is he leading us and knowing us by name, but he knows all of our names and cares that all of us are together. And I think sometimes we can miss that, too, is like we're part of a flock, you know, the body. We all have our own jobs to do. We all have our own skills and gifts. But like one thing he really cares about, like enough to say is like there will be one flock with one shepherd, completely dependent on me. And so another part of Jesus being the good shepherd is that he really cares about our community and he cares about bringing that one in so that they are not alone. You know, there's a, he, they talk about that one sheep, but the whole point is to get that sheep back into community, to get that sheep back in the flock. Um, and so he really cares about that. Um, he is the best shepherd because he's willing to sacrifice for us. Um, Shepherds like lead sacrificially. I know in, we talk about in David where it's like David would like go out and like kill bears and stuff and like wolves. Not I think it was a bear and a lion. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Which is like he just like casually throws it out there if you're reading. He's like, yeah, like one time I killed like a bear and a lion. So I'm like, okay, cool. Um, but they're just, you know, they're kind of like out there. They're kind of outcasts in society if you read it. It's like they kind of had like the bottom of the barrel job. But they did it with like really excellent leadership and they were really brave and they like really took it seriously and um a lot of people were like watch someone said this the other day I don't know if y'all were with me but it's like when you look at how many people were like hanging out with sheep when God called them 
Or like when God met them, it's like a lot. Like Moses was a shepherd when the burning bush happened. Like Jacob met Rachel, like like taking care of sheep. And like that's like Jacob was a shepherd when God called him to go back. And like there's just like, I was like, I've never really, like Joseph's brothers when they sold him to slavery, like they were out with the flocks. And so there's just something about this image of flocks and like God being around. I don't think it's like literally sheep, but like are you doing your job faithfully? Like these, and it's like the sheep is such a, flocks are such an image in the Bible. And then Jesus says, I'm the one who truly leads flocks. And there's all these people faithfully leading their flocks when God like calls them. So I haven't done a study on that or anything. I think I want to, but it's just interesting to think about how many people I could just even kind of rattle off who were around doing their, their kind of bottom of the barrel job very faithfully when God called them. Um, and so just thinking about that, that was kind of a tangent. I'm kind of off of Jesus being the good shepherd, but thought about that the other day. Um, so, what is Jesus like as a shepherd and how do we respond? Um, we're going to look at Psalm 23 because how can we not if we're talking about Jesus being a good shepherd? I just did um, my last semester of master's classes in the spring. I did a class on um, identity and awareness and we spent like nine weeks in Psalm 23 and I think we could have spent like 12 more. This I think these are some of the most like like they there there's always something new in Psalm 23 like when the bible says it's like living and active this passage i think proves that time and time again cuz i'm going to read through it and i'm just going to talk about it for a while and the things that god offers us as the good shepherd um and you guys are probably either going to notice things that i don't notice and i would love to hear them or you're going to hear me say things and be like i've never thought about that before and i've read this every day of my life or you're going to have a probably some of you have personal stories about how god has ministered to you through psalm 23 so i don't know what it is about it but i think psalm 23 really is such a beautiful picture of how the word is active and living um so we're going to walk through it and um, just talk a little bit about how Jesus is our good shepherd and how he loves to take care of us. Um, I'll read the whole thing and um, then we'll talk about it. So Psalm 23. The Lord, I'm also reading an ESV. I forgot to say that earlier. I don't know if that's weird for some of you, like the translation, but okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so this is um, David writing, obviously, and he was a shepherd, and so he just had such a sweet relationship with the Lord. And um, now we know that this is Jesus is the ultimate good shepherd. He even kind of claims that when we just read through John 10. Um, And so just, just a little bit through this like again I could talk about this forever um but all right so the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want I feel like each of us could like just share a little bit about the things either he's shown us of like we don't we actually don't need because he is here or the things that we're like oh yeah like I need to realize that so um just the question is like um the, the ways you can say that is like I have everything I need I lack nothing I am completely satisfied. Like that is what it's like. The Lord is my shepherd. I am completely satisfied. Um, And I think 
one thing I'm sure all of you hear me talk about at some point, but I um, have been single. I am single. And so this verse has meant so much to me in like truly believing that it's like, there's something I desperately want. I would like would deeply desire a husband and marriage. And so to just focus so much on like, Jesus is my good shepherd though. Like I, if I want to live my life to the fullest following him as my good shepherd, then I have to believe that. Like I lack nothing and I can actually confidently say that. And it's taken me a while to get there, but it's like, I have everything I need. I said this to a few of you the other day, but you know, some of us might say like, Oh, I just like, I really want a significant other or I want a job that like really just makes me feel valuable or I want this in my life and it's like I think deeply what we want is we want to be like known and loved and seen like that's probably at the core of most of the things we feel like we're lacking and even just thinking about being in this residency that like is all those things you know it's like you are known and loved and seen like you went through this interview process and we picked you out of multiple other people like not everyone who applied got accepted and that doesn't make you better it doesn't make them not desired and wanted and seen but in those moments where whatever it is that you're lacking in your life and if you think about like what is it that i really want ultimately jesus is all you need and it that is something to wrestle with as a good shepherd but if you just think about like oh no like i'm in a place where people like want me and they like know me and they just keep getting knowing me better and they keep liking me like I think that's really what I want and so there's just a really beautiful thing when you take a step back and you look at the places God has placed you in your life and you choose to see that he's the good shepherd who led you there he might not have led you into the path that you wanted he might not have led you into the path that was more comfortable or that felt better or that makes you feel like you belong more but he has led you into this path where you are wanted and you are chosen and you are known and so you lack nothing, even if it's just knowing that you're here for a purpose for the next two years. You have everything you need, um, which I'm not going to tangent on it, but the American dream has really messed up our thought about what having what we need is. So if you want to talk more about that, we can tangent on that. Um, but there's very little we actually need is something I would challenge you with. And we have Jesus as our good shepherd. And that's why it's like there's very little we actually need. And what we do have is Jesus as our good shepherd. And he is so willing to lay down his life for us and to give us the things we actually need. Um, that there's very little at the, at the end of the road that we actually need when we take time and let him decide the desires of our heart. When we don't let ourselves decide the desires of our heart and let the good shepherd lead us, that's when we realize we really lack nothing. Um, I told you I could talk about this for a long time. but um, So he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Um, so he makes me lie down. Maybe some of you are like, oh yeah, I've been there where he like made me lie down because I was so tired and so worn out and burnt out or whatever it was. Um, but sheep like won't lay down or um, really even drink besides still waters unless they feel safe. Um, they will like, they, they really can't like, unless they feel like they're in a safe spot, they won't drink from moving water. They're like very timid kind of creatures. And so both of these images that he makes me lie down in green pastures, the one that's like, that means you're satisfied because sheep will like graze until they're like stuffed. And so he's like saying like, you like, when we have Jesus as our good shepherd, we're like completely satisfied and full that we can lay down because sheep like never stop grazing unless they actually are completely satisfied and there's enough greenery. So it's like not only are you in a place where you're completely satisfied, but green pastures means that you don't even need the stuff around you because it's not a picked over pasture. It's not something that you've like, oh, we've consumed all of this time to move to the next patch of grass. It's like we're in a lush place 
with green pastures and what we need and we still have enough that we're just going to lay down and take a nap mm-hmm. like there's there's so much there's an abundance around us that we are resting in a place full of what we need um, and leads me besides still waters the good shepherd knows what you need to like you know so often he's like i'm the living water i like come to me and never thirst again and so he even knows how you can like receive him i think when i read this verse like you leave me beside still waters he knows even our preferences sometimes like and i think that's really sweet of him you know sheep is like sheep won't drink out of moving water out of like the the streams because and so they need still water and so it's like oh like he even knows kind of what we need in the smallest sense of the thing like you need a pond you need a lake you need somewhere peaceful um, and then he restores my soul. I think, yeah, the good shepherd just um, refreshes you and he sees you, you know? It's like restoring your soul is such like an intimate thing. Like who really knows what your soul needs besides maybe only God, like truly? Like sometimes I don't even know what I need if I'm being honest, you know? But when I'm following the good shepherd, he can restore our soul. He can bring it back to life. He can rebuild it. Um, he can refresh it with, you know, when you're laying in a pasture full of everything that you need and you don't even need it because you're so content with your shepherd. And when he leads you to a place where you can really get what you need by that still water, that's when it's like, oh, like he sees me and he knows me. And the good shepherd like restores my soul. And so, um, and that image, like, I remember when I first realized, like, oh, like, laying down in a green pasture means you're, like, have abundantly more than you need because you're laying down and don't even feel the need to, like, consume the good things around you um, because you're so content in him. And I don't think I live that way very often, but I want to. Um, and then it says, um, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Um, <clears throat> I wish Gabby was here because I would almost just make Gabby talk about this. But um, she talks about how like he leads me towards righteousness because he is like his name is righteous and so we follow righteousness and because of that we get to be righteous and so him laying down his life for us that means we get to kind of take on that mantle um and so yeah he leads me in paths of righteousness because he is righteous and because when we follow him like i said the whole point is to become more like him it's not just to like have all this knowledge about him and follow him so deeply it's about knowing him. And the more we know him and see his righteousness, the more we feel we have the ability to like live up to that and to be righteous like him. And so he leads us in paths of righteousness because he is righteous and because everything he does is righteous. Um, and so even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, so, you, he guides us. He shifts our goals and perspectives. Um, and so even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, probably all of you have heard this, but it's not if I do or maybe if I end up in the valley. It's like even though. It's like we all will walk through valleys. Um, something I've been trying to do recently is shift my mind from feeling like I'm sitting in a pit to I'm walking through a valley. Um, I think a lot of times when I start feeling overwhelmed or when I feel really like sad or feel like I don't really know what you're doing God I like mentally I've realized that I kind of picture myself like sitting in a pit and it's like I don't really know when I decided that or when I was doing that but this is like talking about the darkness but all so often in scripture it talks about us walking through it and Jesus being with us and so it's like we all will have these seasons where we're very confused or we're not sure what God is doing um but it's not that we're just sitting in a pit we're walking through a dark valley but it says he's with us 
and it says he's guiding us through that and so that's just like a really personal mental shift I've had recently is like when because it's not like if you feel overwhelmed during residency it's when you feel it when God doesn't answer that prayer when that person hurts your feelings when that thing doesn't go your way when ministry is disappointing um don't don't just sit in it be like yeah this is hard and I am in the valley of the shadow of death but like God is with me and I'm walking through it with him he's not just in sitting there or even just like watching me sit there we're walking through it together um and then your rod and your staff they comfort me so you can go feel free Lacey has to leave so I'm just gonna awkwardly admit it um so when you're walking through that the rod and the staff both do two different things so the rod is actually to like catch you from going or which one is the staff? The staff has the hook. So the hook is meant to like catch you from going. So he's like pulling you back. He can catch you from like going off the edge or he can catch you if you're going towards like a poisonous plant. So that image of like when you're walking, he's going to keep you like where you need to go and he's going to keep you. And the rod is actually meant to like correct you onto the right path. And so we don't love the idea of, you know, God correcting us, but he does. And he'll use people's words he'll use scripture he'll use conviction to keep us on the right path and so the rod and the staff you know we're all we're always we're not always we will no matter what we will face a valley probably multiple times in multiple ways um but god guides and comforts us but he also uses the rod and staff like he's going to keep you from falling off the edge and he's also going to you know correct you into the way to go because we don't know like we don't know where we're going we don't know what to do but he's the ultimate authority and he knows what he's doing um And so that's the rod and the staff comforting us. And it is funny to think about, like I have here, it says, be comforted by his guidance and correction. I think sometimes we don't want to be, you know, we're like, oh, I don't really want you to tell me what to do. But it's like, okay, but you're king. And, you know, and then, but then it's like, oh, but actually that's really comforting to know that you're not going to let me fall off the edge if I'm following you. And that's really comforting to know that like you want me to stay on the right path and you are the good shepherd and like you have my ultimate best in mind and the goal for you is for me to be with you in in unity and so I can't that's actually really comforting that you're gonna like keep me on the straight and narrow path I can't really like as long as I'm following you I can't really fall off or like get lost in this valley because you're with me um so yeah when we go through dark times he's the good shepherd who who guides us and we can be comforted by that it says that you're on your staff they comfort me so um verse five you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Um, and this um, this is probably one of the verses that like God has like spoke so clearly before. And um, one of my professors says, an enemy is anyone that you just don't really like. <laughs> and it's like, oh, how many enemies do I have then? Because I think we think of enemies like the Philistines. You know, it's like, well, Goliath is an enemy. But it's like when you're not living in like loving unity, that like that creates animosity in an enemy. So an enemy is really anyone like you don't get along with or you're nervous when they walk in the room. And so like that, it's like you really need to think through like, what is that like? But then I remember I was praying through this one time. It's like you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I was just thinking like, that would be so awkward. Like, here's God, like, setting a feast for me, and then my enemy's, like, sitting there. Like, that's so weird. And I, like, clearly heard God say, like, but what if it's because they're not your enemy anymore? And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, you don't sit down with people you don't like and have a feast unless God has done something miraculous in that. Whether or not even you're still enemies, it's like having a meal with someone breaks down barriers. And so he, he sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And what if it's because when we truly follow the Lord, we don't have enemies. So we can sit in front of anyone and share a meal with them and be okay. 
and be fine, you know? And even if we don't get along or if we see things differently, like God transforms who's our enemy. We're supposed to love our enemies. And so, and I think in some ways for me personally in that moment, it was like, this person should not be your enemy anymore. Like you really need to think through that and be willing to sit down and have a meal with them out of brotherly love for them. But sometimes even if, even if there's things about them that they will always be someone that you don't see eye to eye with, we can still share meals with them because we are united by the good shepherd. And it's like, who knows if the shepherd is preparing a table for them on the other side in front of their enemy, you know, it goes both ways. And so just think about that when you're following the good shepherd is like, we, we don't really have enemies because we're safe with him. And maybe our enemies aren't supposed to be our enemies anymore because God's table unites everyone together. Um, I think that verse can mean so many things. Um, but that was just one really specifically he said. Um, and then you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Um, <clears throat> these anointing um, is just a sign of favor. Like in biblical times, it's a sign of favor. It's a sign of citizen, like, like David was anointed as king. And so it's God just marking you of like, um, I think also, I don't know if this is true, but like they would anoint the sheep so bugs would stay away. Is that real or is that just like, yeah. It's so hard to know what's true about sheep and what people just say because it sounds cool. Anyone else feel like that? Like every time you hear a sermon about sheep, there's something else weird about sheep you've never known before. So I'll say what I've heard, but if you Google and it's wrong, tell me. But supposedly they would put oil, almost like a sunscreen or like a bug spray on sheep's heads so that the flies wouldn't get around their head. So it's like when you anoint my head with oil, again, that's another, it's like one, it's a sign of like favor. Like I'm setting you apart. People who are anointed are clearly meant for something. And so the shepherd is saying like, I'm setting you apart. But also it's like, again, that enemy thing, it's like, no, people can't touch you. Like when you're mine, when you're following me as my sheep, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to put protection around you. You're still going to be in the presence of your enemies. I'm not saying I'm going to take all the hard things away, but I'm going to anoint you so that you are safe and secure and set apart and clearly mine. Like that's clearly a mark. If someone sees you anointed, it's like, oh, that person matters to the person who just anointed them. That person has something special from the Lord. And so the shepherd is saying that for you. Um, and then my cup overflows. I just think like that's so wasteful if you think about it. Like wine or whatever they're drinking is like a commodity. It's like we know that they even ran out in the Bible. And so to think about a good shepherd, and we're kind of transitioning now where it's like, okay, we're not sheep anymore. We're like sitting at a table and stuff. But to think about having someone serving us and loving us like a shepherd who is literally like wasting for you is wonderful. Like he's so like generous that he not only fills your cup to the brim, but again, like that green pasture, you have more than you need. Your cup is overflowing. Um, and I just think that picture of like, he's almost like, he's such like a frivolous and like wasteful, not in a bad way, but just like, I have so much to give you. You can't even hold it. Like, as a good shepherd, he just wants to give us so much more um, than we can even hold. Almost to the point of, like, wait, does that make me uncomfortable? Like, that you're just, like, wasteful when it comes to how much you love me? And it's like, no. Like, that's what he wants to do. That's what he chooses to do. Um, So your cup overflows. Like, that picture of an overflowing life with Jesus. Um, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, And so goodness and mercy, you know, are just things we want in our lives. We all want to be good and we all want to be merciful. Um, And I love the the shall follow me. I like to think of um, 
when I walk into a room and I'm letting Jesus be my good shepherd, like what follows me? Like what do people see when I walk into a room? Um, and when we're letting Jesus be our good shepherd and mercy and goodness are following us, that's what we should hope is the outcome of us following Jesus, is that people see the goodness and mercy following us. because Not because we're awesome, but because our shepherd is the one who's led us into that room with his rod and his staff. Um, and so his goodness and his mercy follow me. And we get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, that's the ultimate goal and that's the ultimate hope is that we get to be with him forever and so when we follow this again it all kind of builds on you know he's the king so we've really done hard to like submit to him give him authority over everything and now we just get to walk in unity with him and we don't have things hindering us and we get to live with him forever and we get to experience forever now even in unity with him um so we get to dwell in the house of the lord forever um so I guess like my question for this one, you know, kind of the first one is where do you need to let Jesus have authority? But it's like, what do you need from him? Like this whole passage is about him like generously, like to a ridiculous standpoint, giving you what you need, guiding you through the valley, um, overflowing your cup, leading you to green pastures and still waters, having mercy and goodness follow you. So when you think about Jesus, the good shepherd that we get to follow, you know, we, we like get to step into this as an invitation. Like, what do you need from him? And what do you need to ask him about? And what areas of your life do you feel like you're lacking that you just need to wrestle with him in that, you know, is it because you're not trusting? Is it because he's provided it for you and you're not seeing it? It's because you need to shift the desires of your heart to where he wants you to shift them. I'm not sure. Or maybe he just has something really good waiting for you, you know, where you're like, I really think I need this. And he's like, here it is. But we have to like, you know, learn to ask and learn to trust. Um, But when you think about Jesus as your good shepherd, my question would be, um, what do you need from him and where do you need him in your life? So that is Jesus, the good shepherd. Um, It's time to take a little break, unless you just want me to go straight through. Anybody need a break? Okay, we'll take a break. Great. Um, so I'm, even though it's in the middle, I'm just going to pray that this stuff sticks if it's supposed to stick and doesn't stick if it's not supposed to. Um, for those of you listening, I forgot to pray like a sinner. So, okay. <laughs> Let me just pray while we jump back in. I know, I know, I know. Um, Jesus, we love you so much. And it is truly an honor to get to just spend a few hours talking about you and how much you want to make our lives good and full and worth living. And so I just pray as we spend the next um, just few minutes left talking about you, that you just make things stick about you, that you want these residents to know and that you make things fall away, that um, either you don't want to be heard or even just that it's not their time to learn yet. I think you're just such a beautiful mystery and we all have to learn things at our own pace and our own layers. And so thank you for what you've taught me and thank you that I get to share it with them. So we love you and we're thankful for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, last one. Um, first, sorry, before we uh, move on too much, does anyone, I kind of just like abruptly cut it off, but any thoughts, questions, things you learned or thought were interesting about Jesus being the good shepherd? Fishmen. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, so God is calling people according to what they actually know best. Mm-hmm. He's using their knowledge. 
mm -hmm. in order for them to minister. Mm -hmm. So she's a, a business woman, so mm -hmm. she's called to do business and the ministry. Not yeah. kidding. Could be. You never know what God's going to use. So, yeah. Yeah, like a lot of athletes will use their sports for the kingdom, you know, and things like that. So it's, there's lots of ways that it's like what God even naturally gifts you in, he wants to use for ministry, um, you know, so, or even not, sometimes David, it's like, I don't know if he like was really like, oh, you're a great shepherd, go out there. But it's like, it's what God called him to do. So he did where he, what he was doing faithfully for a long time. Um, and then God used the skills he learned being faithful to help lead a nation. So. Yeah, I bet Moses learned a lot too, being in the desert for 40 years, leading sheep before he had to lead the Israelites. So, yeah. Any other thoughts about the Good Shepherd? Okay. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't see you. You were like, I know. I was going to wait for someone else to go. but So I had a question about, like, the um, preparing a table in mm -hmm. front of our enemies. Mm -hmm. So, and I think maybe it's just like the word safe is just a, mm. a hot topic word for mm -hmm. me, especially today. I don't know why, whatever. But, um, so I put, what if our enemies are not safe to be around? Mm. Like they're like a dangerous person or they're going to harm us in a mm -hmm. bad way. Mm -hmm. um, does that mean like the table isn't set yet? Like mm. he will prepare a table, but maybe he's still preparing in their hearts. Mm -hmm like to be ready for that type of thing yeah. or were you not really going that route at all and it's more of just like a we need to try and get along with everyone as much as we can like what do boundaries look like in that yeah type of situation yeah I think that um like a table in the presence of my enemies when it comes to people who have like harmed you or would harm you is like you can like maybe you're not sitting with them but you still are at a place where you are safe you know what I mean it's like I'm still like um I'm getting a phone call Griffin if you want to go see if that's playing it's really early, but hold on. Sorry. Um, they're very early. Uh, sorry. Enemies. I would say I would think about <clears throat> like, okay, so I'm not going to ever sit down like with my enemies, but can I still enjoy like the banquet that God has for me, even if there are people out there trying to harm me? You know what I mean? It's like there are still people like if, if that's the case, because like not everyone is just there's not always reconciliation. There's always forgiveness and healing available. But it's like, can I sit down and enjoy the feast God has set for me, even if I know there are people out there that are harmful for me? Yeah. Like, I think I would say that of like, you know, there is um, there is somewhere like there's a presence there, like in the presence of danger. I still am sitting down and enjoying an overflowing cup and anointing and a feast. And I'm not afraid of the danger, mm -hmm. if that danger can't be. And again, that's what I said. I think that verse has so many layers. For me specifically, when I was praying, he was like, I don't want this person to be your enemy anymore. I want you to be able to sit at a table with them. Mm -hmm. But I would never say that about like an abuser. And I would never say that about someone who has actually like caused you harm. God doesn't want you to be like, I want you to just forgive and forget. Like that's mm -hmm. never what he says. Um, and so I just think like, each of these verses can, like that's what I'm saying, it's like living. Like both of us have very different experiences and it can be both. Yeah. You know, and so I think I would say that of like, can you trust the good shepherd that you can sit down and enjoy the bounty he has for you and not be afraid of your enemies because you know he's protecting you? Mm -hmm. I think, yeah. yeah. I have a question if you're done with there. Yeah, anything, was there anything else yeah, about that? that? That answered my question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, like, he goes from the shepherd imagery to mm -hmm. then like a dining mm -hmm. imagery. Would you, how would you say those are like reconciled together hmm. for like unity of the psalm? Yeah, I think it's kind of like the story of David. So if you think about it, it's <clears throat> he 
um, was a shepherd, and that was the life he knew. And then he became a king who would have had tables and dinner with enemies and things. So I think it's it's David reflecting on how God has taken care of him throughout his whole life. You know, because both of these images he would have been very familiar with. Even this, like, when you think about Samuel, like, secretly anointing him at a table with all of his brothers who thought he was worthless. You know, it's like, here's this brother, here's this brother, here's this brother. And it's like, none of them, it's David. So now I'm going to anoint you in front of all of them. It's like that literally happened when he became, when he was anointed king, not even became king. And then later he's having meals with Saul who literally wants him to be dead. And God is like overflowing his cup with his friendship with Jonathan, with the people who would follow him anywhere, with his mighty men. So David had sat at a table with his enemies and had hundreds of people behind him saying, you're fine. Like your cup is overflowing with people here to help you. So I think it's, this is like David's life experience with God. So That's helpful. I've Mm -hmm. read that a a bazillion times. And it's like every time when I get the same part, I'm like, this doesn't really feel like it goes together, but I don't read it anyway. Yeah. It's It's like David's two biggest experiences. Yeah. Cool. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Anybody else? Great. Okay. So the last one, um, Jesus is the anchor we can hold on to. (coughs) All right. We're going to start in Hebrews. Hebrews 6. The anchor we can hold on to. There's Hebrews. Hebrews is always kind of hard for me to find in my Bible. I'm not sure why. It's like not in the back, not quite, but... All right, Hebrews 6. That doesn't help anyone but you. Mine's 1293. (laughs) Anybody match? Hey! (laughs) Okay, we're just listing off the page number that Hebrews 6 was in, which is not helpful for anyone who has a different Bible, but it's funny. Oh. Anybody else 1293? All right, so... Bring it back now, y'all. Jesus is the anchor we can hold on to. So Hebrews 6, um, 18 through 20. And then I'm actually going to read it, I think, in the NLT because I like. Yeah, I'm going to read it in NLT really quick. So it says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has has already gone in there for us, and he has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So I (coughs) was in... um, this, this one is like my newest one. So it's like, I'm still kind of like learning this and experiencing this. Jesus being my anchor is like just kind of what I'm walking through. So I'm sharing with you, but also it's definitely not as like solidified in my heart. I'm still letting him like work through this with me. Um, but I was in a spiritual direction session, which is when someone just like sits and just prays with you. Like you just sit there and you're quiet and you pray and then you'll talk a little bit, but it's mostly just like someone kind of helping and guiding you in time with the Lord. It's a really sweet thing. I, I really like it. Um, But we're sitting there and I'm just talking about how hopeless I feel. It was like a really hard time in residency and it was a really hard time in my personal life. Like my car was broken down and my niece was in the hospital with COVID. And it was just like, I was like, I just feel so hopeless. And she's like, well, what are you like hoping in? Which if Carl preached a sermon about hope, 
like maybe four or five weeks on it. It's so good. Um, if you want to listen to more about that, but, um, I was like, I don't really know. So then we just spent some time like asking the Lord and I was like, I don't think I even know like what to hope for. Like, I don't really know what hope is. Like, I'm just like, you know, when you like get into this existential crisis, even though it's kind of unnecessary, but you're like, what even is hope? I don't know. And so I'm just feeling that. And so we're like, let's pray about it. And the line, like this, like this hope is an anchor for our souls was just like repeating over and over in my head. Like this hope is an anchor for your soul. This hope is an anchor for your soul. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what that hope is. Like this hope, like what is that hope? And so I'm just like wrestling with that. And I'm like, Danielle, do you know, like what that hope is? And so I'm like, what's that verse? And she's like, I'm not sure. So I'm like on zoom with her, but I'm like Googling hope as an anchor and all of that. And then it comes to this and like, it, it doesn't say it like very clearly, but I'm like, I was reading through it and I was like, it's Jesus. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. And it was just this like, which sounds almost silly, but you'll have this moments where you're like, why have I never really understood this before? And so I was like, the only thing that anchors my soul is Jesus, but it's not even just Jesus. Like there's, it's like this, um, this specific thing that is he's coming back. And that is what anchors our souls in this world. You know, we have Jesus as our king and we submit our authority to him. And we have Jesus as our good shepherd and we get to follow him. But then we also have this hope that one day he is going to actually come back and we're going to be with him without the chaos and the sadness of this world. And that is what anchors our soul. It's not even just Jesus, although he is perfectly enough. It's the fact that Jesus is going to come back and get us. And so it's like, that's what it says. Like we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So that hope projects. It's like hope is a projection of like, I know he is coming back. And that is why he is the anchor of my soul. Um, And so I just think it is so critical to remember that he's coming back to get us. Because on those darkest days, when you're in the valley of the shadow, when you feel like you've given Jesus authority over and over again, and you still are stuck in those sin patterns, you're like, but I have hope. He knows that I'm stuck. He knows that I have flesh and he's coming back and he's going to make it all right. Like in our most hopeless moments, he's going to make it right. Um, everything else we've talked so much about everything else is shifting and changing it, but he never breaks his promises. And so we know he can, we know he's coming back and he can make our souls secure. Um, not like nothing else is secure, not our relationships, our status, our jobs, nothing else never changes. Um, I remember one time I was, it was years ago and I was talking to someone about being frustrated here and being like, I like make it here. Like, am I cut out for this? And he's like, well, Southeast isn't what anchors your soul. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's also really good for me to hear. And I think it's, I, I grew up here and so sometimes it feels like, oh, I've like made it because now I'm back on staff and people respect me. That cannot be what anchors my soul. Like that is like, that is a very personal thing I wrestle with is like, I have not made it and I am not like stuck here because Southeast is the end all be all of a job, you know? And that's even for you all. It's like, we've talked about this. Some of you will end up here and some of you won't. And that actually doesn't matter at all. What matters is that Jesus and the hope that he's coming back is what you live for every day. And like, so Southeast specifically, I think, can be such a trap sometimes because it feels very secure. It's like they provide good jobs and they're in a good city and they're a good, healthy church. It cannot be what anchors our soul. Um, And so if there's even an inkling of that of like, well, Southeast is really what helps me make it, like, it cannot be that. It has to be Jesus. I've had to unpack a lot of that, especially like growing up here and being around here, it just feels so often like this is like the thing, but it's not, 
it's just another thing he uses, but it's not the thing. Um, and so you just have to remember that only Jesus anchors. Um, and we, you know, we have the hope that he is the real king and he really is coming back. Um, it secures us. So um, in Jeremiah 17, we're going to flip to the Old Testament. So something I, um, I did a word search on the word anchor. And it was very funny because it's only used four times in scripture. One is in Hebrews and the other three are talking about literal anchors. And I was like, this is not helpful for me. This is not going to help because it's just talking about when Paul like cuts off the anchors on his boat because he's on a shipwreck. And I was like, that's not really like metaphorical or deep. That's just like an anchor needed to be broken so they didn't die. Um, (laughs) So, but what I, what I realized when I was um, thinking about this is what it does talk a lot about is Jesus being like our root and our branch. And so I think another metaphor that ties in really well is, um, like Jesus being like a root or like we always talk about we're the branch, he's the vine. Sorry, Jesus is not the branch, we're the branch, he's the vine. Um, but Jesus being like a vine. And so um, in Jeremiah 17, um, this is some of my favorite um, passage. So, and it's going to sound a lot like Psalm 1 for those of you who recently heard Ben do that Devo. Um, but Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it is and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Um, and so that, like, you know, whose roots who sends out its roots by the stream. I just think of that being our relationship with Jesus. You know, Jesus is the living water and he's the branch or the vine we stay. I hate, I'm going to say that over and over again. He's the vine we stay connected to. And so that imagery of like the nature, and I was thinking about anchors and roots both um, play such a crucial role in storms. And they play such an important role when we're wind, like the wind and the waves are tossed. And so um, I just think, like being I always say like I just want to be a confident tree like when I think about Jeremiah 17 I think so often like I just want to be a confident tree um whose trust is in the Lord and also that word like blesses man whose trust in the Lord whose trust is the Lord that word trust can also be translated hope and so it says blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose hope is the Lord not even whose hope is in the Lord do you hear that little difference like blessed is the man whose hope is Jesus is the one who can, and then it's, he's a tree planted by water. Um, and so I just think about, we kind of talked about this already, but we're all going to have valleys of the shadow of death and we're all going to have wind try to knock us over. And whether that's, we're on a chip in the sea or we're on, we're a tree, whatever you want to image your life, you know, the thing that holds us secure is Jesus and the hope that this isn't everything of this world. Think about that. It's not even if we're using the ship image, it's like our life is a ship and we're being tossed by the winds and the waves and Jesus is our anchor. But it's not just, oh, I trust in Jesus. He's the good shepherd. He's the king. It goes beyond that too. I hope, I like my hope is in that it's not going to stay this way forever. It's even like, I and I like, that's what I'm learning right now. So take it a step further from just like, oh, I trust Jesus. He's good. And it's like, Jesus is so good and he's the good shepherd and he gets to rule my life and he's coming back. It is not going to stay this way. And so on your journey with Jesus, that's what the whole day I want you to hear is like you're on a journey with him and you're going to experience all these different things and have all these different experiences. And these are the things you hold on to, the king, the shepherd, the anchor um, <clears throat> on this journey with him. It's even more than 
he's just here next to you. And it's even more than he like rules your life. It really is, um, he's coming back. And that's where we place our hope. We don't even place our hope in like, oh, today is going to be great. Today he's with me. That's awesome. But someday it's not even going to be like this anymore. And we're actually going to get to be with him. Um, I also think it's really great that a lot of these are communal and personal at the same time. If you think about it, like a root system. And Dave, did any of you listen to Dave's sermon with Kyle? I need to go back and listen, but I heard like two seconds of it. And he talked about how like the redwoods, their roots actually are very shallow, but all connected. And when like one of the trees gets sick, the other root, the other trees will actually like send nutrients to the other redwoods. And we know that like with an anchor, it's like the, it's like an anchor holds a whole boat, you know? And so it's like, it's a group of people. And so I think even so much of his imagery, kind of like the flock, it's not just about our personal lives, which is important. And we have a relationship with Jesus, but it's also almost every one of these, you can easily translate into community. And I think that's really beautiful that he gives us these pictures of him that also are all communal language. You know, he's the king over a kingdom, the church, and he's a good shepherd over the flock. And he's an anchor and he's a, he's like a vine for all the branches. You know, we're all connected to the same vine. And so even that in this, this anchor we can hold on to, it's like, we're holding on to get, did I say it wrong again? Oh, I was like, I was really careful that time. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just, it's just a Thursday inside joke. Oh, uh, thank you. About, so. Oh, great. Thursday afternoon or morning joke. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. <laughs> um, and so even, even with that, to, as you're like learning about Jesus and as you're exploring what he means to you, and like I said, these are three of the things that are really important to me um, about him, but I could, I mean, I could have talked about thousand things about him we just we were talking about that thousand name song you know it's like there's so many things so as you're learning and growing and journeying with him like share what you're learning about him because other people need to hear it too and share the ways that he's been close and real and personal to you because other people need to experience that kind of like what grant was saying um like the the things you get to experience about God, other people need to learn from that and other people need to hear that, you know? And I hope me saying like, oh my gosh, my hope is Jesus is like encouraging to you that it's like, we're always going to be learning. Like I was 31 years old when I was like, <gasps> the hope is Jesus coming back. Never actually processed that. Like, you know, and so, and we, I just have so much more to live about him. And hopefully in 10 years, this list is like either longer or different because I've kept learning about the things that matter to me about him. And I hope that like when, you know, you think about your testimony, it's like you can mark it by, oh, I remember when I learned this about Jesus. And I remember when I got deeper because of this for Jesus. And um, he really is just like, like union with him and getting to live life with him is the goal. And um, we get to do that through the spirit and the father, you know, is there listening to us. And um, so that really is it. Just like unity with the Trinity is our goal. So, um yeah, so I think with the anchor and Jesus's hope, my question, you know, I've kind of had a question at the end of each one, but it's like, is there anything you're hoping in more than Jesus coming back? That's just like, I think one of the big ones again, and I, this is just because of my situation, but like marriage and a family is a big one that I have to wrestle with regularly. You know, if I really think that being married is something to hope in more than Jesus coming and being with me face to face, I've got to wrestle through that. Because that's a misplaced understanding of what Jesus is going to be like and what Jesus is like. Um, So just what are you hoping in more than Jesus? Um, Carl talked a lot about how like hoping when we talk about it is a lot more like wishing. And that's not what godly hope is. That's not what biblical hope is. It's not wishing for things to go our way. It's a confident trust. 
that Jesus is coming back and he's going to make everything right. Um, yeah, there's, um, what is it? Is it, I think it's in Narnia, it's either Narnia or Lord of the Rings. I'll quote both of those all the time, but so I think it's Samwise who says like everything sad is coming untrue. And is that Samwise? Yeah. And so, um, I just think that's such a good picture of what the hope we have at the end is, is everything sad is coming untrue. Not even like changing or going away, but it's like, that's not true anymore. Like the sad things, it's like the truest thing that Jesus is here is the, the is here. And so, um, that's what real hope is, is realizing that everything sad is coming untrue. Um, yeah. So that's mostly what I have. Um, I love Jesus a lot. Happy to talk about him anytime. Hope this was helpful for you. Um, not too overwhelming, but any other, any kind of thoughts, questions about Jesus, about things we've said? Yeah. Could you speak into like your own final question, like having anything more hope than Jesus or Mm -hmm. his return, Mm -hmm. like how we can be hopeful for Jesus' return, Mm -hmm. but then still not try to jump the gun. And ignore what we're doing now like yeah how do we how do we feel both of those or yeah how do you process that again yeah I think a lot of it is the like living in the now but the not yet um you know it's like we live now in God's kingdom I think that's something that I want to talk about a lot more is like God's kingdom is now like Jesus didn't die and rise back like raise back to life to come for a kingdom later it's like it's now and so we get to live as citizens in that way and I think like we get to be very small images of what it's going to be like someday. And so we get to live in that like beauty of like this room right here is like, because we talk about him and like live in his light. It's like, we get to have a little bit of heaven on earth right now. And so I think if we think about how much we can bring a small piece of that before he even gets back, that's what keeps us going every day. So it's like, I get to step into a room and I get to bring a little bit of Jesus with me. It's going to be better when he's really here and he's back. And that's my ultimate hope. But every day it's like, I'm not just waiting for him. I'm trying to tell everyone else and live in a way that people even get to experience it now because we don't have to wait to experience his kingdom it's just going to be better when he actually comes. Mm-hmm. So, but it's good now because we get to live in his kingdom. So, thank you. Yeah. What else? You have something to say, or is that just a tiny heart? It's just a tiny heart. What else? Nothing. You have nothing to say about Jesus. I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> just a quick question. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you're saying. Um, why are you looking at me like that? Jackson. This? I was listening again. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Are you good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do you have any, um, any like, uh, verses that uh, you have ever summarized? I mean, not just summarized, but like, um, crumbed or, you know, that you can tell us without reading the Bible. Like, verses I've memorized? Yeah. Um, I mean, I have some. It would take, that sounds boastful to say, it would take a long time. Um, I, my mom, when I was growing up, we had this, um, album called Hide Them in Your Hearts for Kids, and it was Steve Green. If any of you are children of the 90s and early 2000s, Steve Green, anybody? Um, and so I have a ton of songs in my head to music. Um, and so that's it. And then in college, we had to memorize a lot. And so one time, has anyone ever heard my John 1 tape? 
It's not a tape, it's a recording, but I had to memorize John 1, and so my friend and I bought the um, karaoke version of Party in the USA on iTunes and wrote John 1 to the tune of Party in the USA, and I can still sing it. I will not do that for you right now, but it might happen someday. Um, and then the other way, so a lot of times I, I memorize to song. Um, because it's just easier for me. Um, Judy, actually, Judy, who is here today, we can sing. I think it's like Matthew 7. We can sing a lot of Matthew 7 because um, we just made up a tune. Um, what? No. Judy's gone. Sad. Um, and then I also do motions. I can do motions. So when we, I went to kids camp one time, we memorized... Is it Philippians 2? It's like your attitude should be like Christ Jesus. So it's like we were like... Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, he made him. And then I lose it. But it's like we did that like every day. Yeah. Nature. It's like green. It's like greenery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, but I like, I did that. I was a high school camp. I was in high school and I was a camp leader for third graders. And I can still do your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. And we would do sounds Christ Jesus, who being the like, and I can just do it all. So it's like anything like having scripture in your heart is worth being as ridiculous, like as ridiculous as you need to be, because I just have so much much in there that's to song and motions and silliness but it's all in there so yeah 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 anything else bye Lydia okay well there's nothing else I will pray for our lunch and thank you for joining me on a journey with Jesus today um God, just thank you for the opportunity again to talk about you and help us love you more today than we did yesterday and look like you more today than we did yesterday. Help us remember that the goal is to know you and love you deeply um, and to have a relationship with you and not just um, be good at um, being a Christian, but be um, desiring of being like you and knowing you really deeply. Um, Help us trust you as our king and follow you as our shepherd and hold on to you as our anchor. you're so good and we're thankful for you thank you for lunch and panera and community and pray for um just for sarah and Haley as they're just feeling sick and they're tired and i pray for camp next week that we all are able to um just really invest well and um also just learn even more about you be open to and humble in learning um even if we're leaders at a camp we trust you in your name we pray amen, amen. all right anything from men are you good great <laughs>